So tonight we're continuing on with the one another passages. And tonight we are going to focus in on 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 10. And I'll read this. As each received a gift to use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And so being able to serve one another. In your mind, what does it mean to just generally thinking, what does it mean to serve one another? Do stuff. Do stuff. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's pretty general. What kind of stuff might we have examples for? There's, there's a lot of things that we already do here that are examples, right? Food. Uh, I remember we started, uh, I, we, not me, but uh, many here at the congregation, um, the ladies started a, a food uh, type of ministry, and that was anybody that came down with COVID. Um, they couldn't go out and get their groceries. They couldn't cook for themselves because of the lack of groceries. So there was a volunteering of meals, and they would provide meals for the, for the person that was sick. I thought that was awesome, right? Okay. Ezekiel, did you have your hand? Looking Yeah, absolutely. And you kind of beat me to it. We'll come back to that. But in order to serve somebody, there needs to be, in order to serve somebody, does there require anything on my part in order to serve them? Right? Obviously, the answer is yes, right? And we'll get to a little bit of what that's what in, what that's, uh, involves. Miss Carol? Um, I don't know if this is like serving, but like giving like cards to the ones sure. that need to be lifted up. Sure, write cards. I've received cards that have, man, they have really picked me up. Maybe it was, a, it was a tough day. Maybe it's been a tough week. And, you know, you really do sometimes when you're thinking, uh, when you're not thinking what you're supposed to be thinking, um, you can start to have some thoughts of doubt, of question. You know, am I really doing, making a difference? Uh, I don't know if my sermon really hit. Man, all those things. And then you receive a card that says, man, your sermon really, really hit home for me today. You know, and uh, these past few lessons, I know. You know, me and Crystal are going home saying, we got to do this. we got to do something. I'm so fired up. Uh, Miss Julie um, came to me after the sermon, and she was like, these lessons get me so fired up. Man, what can I do, you know? And it's just like it's making you want to do things, and that's obviously what service is, right? It is doing stuff, right? Theolog- nice theological phrase there, doing stuff, Miss Libby, right? It's just, it's just putting into action what the Bible teaches. Now, let me ask you this. What does it take to serve someone? What does it take? Okay. You, you can throw out whatever, what kind of mentality, motivation, um, and whatever you're thinking. What does it take to serve another? Okay. You said humility, time, opportunity, effort, willingness. Wacy. I would have never thought of that. Self-awareness. Am I serving in a way that I can, I can serve? You know, I'm acknowledging some of my strengths, some of my weaknesses. Okay? I heard another thing. Resources. Great. Giving. Okay? God-pleasing. Okay, the right motivation. Ability. Yes. Now, I'm going to put a star next to ability because that's one of the things we're going to focus in on. Availability. You know, that's kind of a two, double-edged sword there. Am I available to serve? 
if I'm not available, can I make myself available to serve? Right? There's priorities. You know, maybe I've got a, a Maybe I've got something planned and I just see a need that really needs to be taken care of. And you know what? I'm going to forego whatever I have planned and I'm going to, to be involved in this, uh, this time to serve, this opportunity to serve. Okay? That's a good list there. We'll stop there. In order for me to serve, however we, we, may, we may see that service done, I'm going to kind of point us to what Wacy said, and that's awareness, not just self-awareness, but think about areas in which I see there are needs. Does that make sense? I see a need in the congregation. Of course, we know that First Peter here, one another is referring to what? Christian body, right? So it's pretty specific. This isn't talking about the world. This isn't talking about loving other passages that says love your neighbor. This is specifically for the body of Christ right here at Salt River. And so in order for me to be aware of how to serve, I probably should be involved enough to see the needs. Does that make sense? So think about that. I need to be available enough I need to, to have the opportunity and make opportunity and make time to be with brothers and sisters so that I see the need. If I don't know sister so-and-so, how in the world am I going to serve her? Or at least how am I going to serve her effectively? So a lot of this does involve just the willingness, here I am, Lord, send me, but also there's, a, there's an integration into the congregation that says, man, you know, I know this sister or this brother, they don't make it known, but because I know their situation, I'm going to serve in this way. And so the relationship ultimately is what this gets back to, right? Is if I'm not relational, if I have no relationships, how am I ever going to see a need? Right? I can serve the body kind of generally speaking. I'll, I'll sign my name up for cleaning the building, or um, maybe preparing the Lord's Supper, and that's all great. But to think about how my relationships are with those who I see here. We look around and we're singing um, a common love for one another. Or we're singing to God, bind us together, Lord. Well, how can I be bound together to a body that I'm never with? How can I share common love with somebody that I don't ever spend time with? How can, I, um, how can I serve and love a brother or sister and I don't even know how many children they have? I don't even know where they live. I don't even know what their, what, their, what their struggles might be that they're willing to share with me. Does that make sense? So the closer we have these relationships, there comes a lot with it. There's going to see, you know, you're going, the closer you get to Evan, you are going to get annoyed by Evan. Because you're closer to me. And you're going to see all the ways in which I've got flaws. You're going to see all the ways in which I'm imperfect. You're going to see all the ways in which I preach, but I don't do. And that's okay because we're growing together. So, you know, raise a hand here. Who here, who here raised, was raised in a family in which you and your siblings, perfect relationships? No fights. Did here, nobody, raise your hand that had... Raise your hand if you and your parents saw eye to eye 100% of the time. You know, Mom, I was thinking the exact same thing. You know, Dad, you mentioned that. I was going to do that tomorrow. Never. 
Never. So if that doesn't work with my physical family, then why ought to we, sh- we should expect uh, to expect that our relationships amongst the spiritual family is going to be any different? But the more that I grow closer and I see, man, so-and-so really does struggle with anger. So-and-so does, you know, I've noticed that person gets hangry. They're hungry. Uh, they're a little short-tempered now. They got that short free fuse uh, Josh was talking about. You know, I just do not like the way so-and-so does X, Y, or Z. And the closer we get, we see those things. But the Bible is telling us that all of this that involves that, that mindset, I'm going to choose to overlook that for the sake of this. I'm choosing to see the best in people, right? And so what Peter's going to do is he's going to call these Christians to remember what their life was like before uh, Christ and how it is now, what their current state of being is now. And so let's look at a few words here. Here's, uh, you guys know how I like to, to highlight key words in a book. Notice this word. It's the Greek word hagios, but uh, it's, it's translated either sanctification, holy, or pure. It's the idea of setting God's setting me apart more and more. It's the idea of spiritual growth, okay? Look with me in chapter 1 and verse number 2. Somebody read that for me, please. 1 Peter 1 and verse 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Okay, so this is the introduction, right, of this letter. Peter's saying, here's who I'm writing to. Verse 1 says, Peter, to an, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles. And he's going to give some long words that are, are areas and cities in that, in that region. But verse 2, you exiles, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the, what's that word? Sanctification. Now that's a process that God is involved with and taking you from a newborn babe, he's going to talk about that in chapter 2, to somebody who is spiritually mature, somebody that's been just eating and eating, feasting on the Word of God, but not just hearing, but also, as James would say, is what? Doing the Word. And so if you ever ask yourself, how do I become more spiritually mature? Well, number one, hear the Word of God, Romans 10, 17. But secondly, James would say, do the Word. Pretty simple. Hear the word and do the word and see how your life changes. Husbands, how do you treat your wife? The Bible says treat your, life, uh, treat your wife as Christ loved the church, giving his life up for her. Okay, so if I'm going to treat her like that, not just read it and study it, but to do it, tell me how your marriage changes. It'll change for the better. Ladies, be able to submit to your husband and encourage him and be a great supporter, not because he's more important, not because he's more valuable, because that's your role that God has given you. Do that and see how your marriage changes. All the words that come out of your mouth are not tearing him down, but lifting him up. You're not focused on flaws, but you're focused on things he does well. See how the relationship changes. Children, submitting to your parents and obeying them, even though you disagree, until you get to the age where you can think for yourself and you develop your own faith. See how that changes your relationship with mom and dad. You see, so when we start to do these things, that's when we see this process in which we go from our former selves being lost to saved. And I'm just going to put uh, um, 
sanctified. See, the thing with sanctified, it's never a past tense. It's a present tense, always. So that means it's always happening. And so if I can go from a state of lost to a state of being saved, ultimately when we are baptized into Christ, and I'm always supposed to be moving this way. And so what does that look like? And here's what Peter's going to say for us. Go to chapter 4 and verse number 3 now. Somebody read that for us. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans chose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. Okay, thank you for that. Now, I'm going to make a list. If I misspell a word, overlook my flaw, okay? So we have, and I'm going with the ESV. You have debauchery, I have sensuality. You get the idea. Different translations might, be, have, might, might have a different word there. But in verse number 3 of chapter 4, we have sensuality. Number 2, help me out. Lust, drunkenness. 4, my mind sees carouseling. I don't know if my mind sees, but carousing. And 6, abominable idolatries. Okay, so here's a list. There's a few times in his letter where he gives us a list. If you look at what you used to be like, Christians, Peter's saying, here's a short list to remind you. For those that might be flaunting how well they do whatever, how good they are, here's a list to kind of humble ourselves. Now what's interesting is kind of definitions. For those taking notes, that word for sensuality is being driven by the, 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 the love for lusts. Not just lusts in and of themselves, but I like those lusts. And I'm giving myself up freely to that. It's somebody that has no self-control. I like feeling prideful. So guess what I'm going to do anytime I'm around, folks? I'm going to talk about myself. Because I love that feeling. That's what that, that word means. Second word, you got lusts. That's the idea of longing after things you know you shouldn't long after. Longing for things you know you should not long after. And we can, we can apply that in so many ways, right? And again, I just think about today in our age where social media makes this so much more available. It's at our fingertips that, you know, I, I, like, to, to, I like to engage in conversation. That makes me feel these things. I like to, to browse. I like to, to surf the web. That stuff is very tempting. And so this is what's reminding us to say, this is not what dictates me anymore. I used to. Yeah, I acknowledge that. I was driven by this. Lust, sure. No, things that I know I shouldn't have the desire for. Drunkenness. The word literally means overflowing with wine overflowing there's no cap there's no okay this is enough it's people who just i have i have zero acknowledgement of too much it's just too it's just overflowing the word for carousing is excessive everything it's the person that's just too much whatever it is they want to do it to the nth degree whatever it is whether it's material whether it's lusts, whether it's um, parties, whether it's feeding my, my, my temptations, whatever it is, it's just overflowing, excessive everything. 
right? Drinking parties here. Those Christians, and so, so probably are a lot of us today sometimes, drinking at events so much it's the party animal. It's the person that, that loves to go to these events where the lights are, are, are dim, it's dark, there's just all kinds of chaos. That's this. And then number six is literally forbidden worship. Forbidden worship. So for those of us who have friends, um, loved ones who are engaged in different uh, faith groups, this is a good passage for us to remember because that is literally means anything forbidden. It's unauthorized worship. Now again, the context would be these Christians are coming out of a world of going to the temples and worshiping in all kinds of ways, right? Engaging with sex, uh, in sex with uh, the temple prostitutes, um, offering their, their meat sacrifice to, to gods like uh, lowercase g gods like Zeus and Artemis and all of these different gods, whatever, whatever you want to think of, engaging in that form of worship, unauthorized, forbidden worship. Okay, with this list here, let me stop. Any thoughts or questions about that list? Yes, Alinda. It's like Las Vegas. <laughs> when you walk down the strip, everything that's listed is there. Yes, isn't that Sin City? Right, it's interesting. I think it was the last time I used that in a sermon, I'm like, it's Las Vegas. And then after, I think it was Alinda, you're like, hey, what are you doing? Oh, we're going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm like, what? Did you not listen? No. But you can, not to say if you go there, you're going to join. But that's the message, right? Let's go here to a place that has all of this, you know, and here's the thing. For the person who still lives here, it doesn't matter where you go. You're going to find it. And I think about this with our young ones. Would we, generally speaking, want for our children to go to Christian colleges? If the cards lined up, sure, but the cards don't always line up, do they? Can they find at a Christian college this? if they were still living there? Absolutely. And so it isn't necessarily the environment, but it's where they are here. And we'll get into how, the, how Peter ties that. But where, it, where am I today? I may have been baptized. I may sit in a chair every single Sunday, but mentally and spiritually, guess where I still am? I'm still there. I like it. I enjoy it so much I can't let go of it. And that's where Peter's trying to wake them up to say, that's how you used to be. And some of you are still struggling with that. Okay, any other thoughts before we move on? Okay, so he goes on, and he's going to continue to talk about that. But what I love about this is if we go to um, what this change involves, I really like Peter and I didn't notice this until today when I was really studying this out. But um, you think about the word sobriety. What comes to mind when you think of the word sobriety or when you hear it? Free to free of, okay. Wellness. Alert. Clean. We've got several here who are involved with sobriety and trying to stay sober, right? A lot of us, well, first thing we're thinking of is, is drug and alcohol, right? That's kind of the first thing. And, and, and that makes sense. But the word literally means to be in your right mind. And I'm going I'm, I'm to hopefully be able to show how that is really what God is after. 
you know, Paul's going to say over and over that our war, our battle is not against what? Flesh and blood. Battle's here. How is God and Satan fighting? They're fighting a spiritual battle to see who can capture this. If they can capture your mind, they've got you. So Satan doesn't have a control of what I do unless he's got control of this. And so that's where the battle is. That's why it's important to be on top of what we're watching, what we're hearing, what we're listening to, what my children have access to. That's where the importance lies because that's really going to keep me here. It's going to keep me moving in the right direction. Does that make sense? So we have, um, so we have this idea of the mind. And here's what I want to talk about uh, and really focus in on. I'm going to preach a sermon after this study called Spiritual Sobriety. <laughs> Go to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. 1 Peter 1 and verse 13. Let me get somebody to read that for us, please. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, thank you. Therefore preparing your minds. Does anybody else have a different translation? Gird up your loins. How many of us have heard that phrase and I have no idea what that means? Does anybody know what gird up your loins means? What's that? If you're a male. The idea is the the dress wear that was... um, that was regular, it was part of the culture there with the Hebrews and the Israelites. They, in order to, in order to do more, to do something faster than walking, they'd have to pick up what they were wearing on their legs in order for them to run, right? We would probably say to those who are, who've got, you know, I don't know if this was you, I don't know if this was a fad that you went through, but baggy pants is a thing. And uh, I know a lot of my buddies, I was not allowed to. I tried to, but my mom made sure. I remember one time, that was it, just one whooping, and then I was done with trying to try that out. But I know some guys, they would wear their pants baggy, and they could not run. Could not run, because it was limiting your ability to, to really have a stride. And so that's the idea, is gird up your loins, get ready. Make yourself, you know, in sports they would say, get in, a, in an athletic position. You're ready to do something. And so if I'm preparing, if I'm girding up my loins, he says, the loins of what? My mind. What might that look like? To gird up the loins of my mind. What might that look like? How might we describe that? Okay, definitely a prayer. Absolutely. Sure, I've got to cleanse it of this first. Okay, Donald? Okay, being aware, absolutely. Miss Don? Yes, that's going to be another reference. Is you, can, you can put that Ephesians 6. What verse is that? Uh, 7 or 14. So you can put that as a reference. Uh, Crystal? Preparing yourself, knowing where you are or where you're going to be. Yeah. Or if you do go, know how to leave the situation or whatever if something arises. Okay. Good. Being prepared. Has anybody gone to a job interview? 
in which you are super just, man, I'm so nervous. Anybody kind of recited what they were going to do in the interview? Right? You see that on shows and things like that, preparing for an interview. What are you doing when you're preparing for an interview? Are you not doing this? You're preparing your mind. Maybe you're going to have a, a real heavy conversation with somebody, and you've gone over the conversation over and over in your head before the conversation ever took place. Guess what you did? You girded up the loins of your mind. Maybe you were, um, maybe you were in trouble. Maybe you're called into your manager's office, and you, were, you knew something was wrong, so you're trying to think of, guys, it's when we get the, we need to talk. Guess what we're going to do? Gird up the loins of our mind. What did I do? What did I not do? What did I forget? We're trying to really focus in on. All of those things ought to be reoccurring for the person who's trying to be more set apart. Is I'm constantly reviewing in my mind all areas of my life. What are my strengths? Am I focusing on those? What are my weaknesses? And am I aware of those weaknesses? And am I aware of those lusts? If I know I have a lust for a certain, certain type of sin, am I aware of that? If I know I struggle with alcohol, am I going to watch the game at a bar? No. Going back to what Crystal said, it's putting yourself in a situation you haven't thought it through. And so what's interesting is a buddy of mine, Trey, he said this. He said, you know, my mom had a phrase growing up. And he said that phrase was, every time I left the house, he said, my mom would say, boy, act like you got some sense. Every time he left the house, boy, act like you got some sense. That's what the Bible would refer to as be sober-minded. It's to be well-balanced in your thinking. I'm not swayed by the moment. I'm not swayed by my impulsive desires to do this, to know when I've got a budget and I've got to stick to the budget, but I'm out and about say, man, yeah, let me buy that. I'm not, I'm not dictated by, I'm not controlled by that anymore. I'm not controlled if I know that I struggle with my mouth and speaking down, I'm aware of that. So I've gone over it in my head how I'm going to, to be aware of, of those temptations of this former life. And so he says that, he makes that reference to, to the mind, and he goes to say, prepare your minds for action. I love that. And being sober-minded, he says, set your hope fully on the grace of God. And so this idea of setting your mind or being sober-minded, now we drop down to uh, chapter 4 and verse 7. So in your, in your margins, you can reference this, uh, chapter 1 and verse 13, and then chapter 4 and verse 7. Chapter 4 and verse 7, he says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. So here he attaches with a sound mind or to be sober mind, he's going to tie that with prayer. Do you think I'm going to struggle with talking to my Lord when I'm sober-minded? Do you think I'm going to struggle talking to one another about my faults and my sin when I'm sober-minded? Do you think if I'm sober-minded, I'm going to take wisdom a little bit easier and not be so offended? Sure. And so there's a lot of things that come with our mindset of being sober-minded 
because I've been set apart. And so he says, when you're sober-minded, and here's, here's really what we're going to uh, end with. We've got about 10 minutes, so, so we use about five minutes and then five minutes of discussion here. So to be sober-minded, he says, here's how you do it. So the command is to be sober-minded. And you know participles is how you carry out the command. So we've got the command of being sober-minded, and what's interesting is the, the wording of the grammar is, here's how your sober-mindedness um, is, is displayed. Here how it, here's how your sober-mindedness is, is made, um, um, I guess, viewable, made practical. Number one, he says, through love. Verse 8, above all, keep loving one another. That's a participle. Interesting that the command is to be sober-minded. How do I be sober-minded? Well, loving one another. Secondly, he's going to say, verse 9, show hospitality to one another. So showing hospitality is actually I carry out being sober-minded. Number three, he's going to say, and here's our main verse, as to each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Verse 11, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength of God that supplies in order that everything, in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And so we've got, how am I spiritually sober? Number one, I'm loving the brethren. Number two, I'm hospitable. You remember that word? What does it literally mean to be hospitable? To be a lover of what? Almost, not others. That word hospitable means to be a lover of strangers. Do you remember that? Be a lover of strangers. That's to be hospitable, hospitable, number two. Number three is I'm speaking godly things. And I really studied this out, and I'm thinking, okay, is he talking about somebody who preaches and teaches? That's their role? It's not. He's talking in generality. If you're a Christian, whatever comes out of your mouth, guess what's going to be in it? Godly things. You ever come across somebody that every time they speak, somehow, someway, God is in there? It's just that's what they're all about. You know, they'll say that um, really what you talk about is really what's, what's, what's here, right? Is, 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 uh, the overflow is of, of what you're speaking is just, just what's bottled up in here. Well, this would talk about it doesn't matter if you're a preacher, if you're a teacher, if you're a Christian, you should be speaking, and every time you speak, God needs to be in what you're talking about. It ought to be. Does that make sense? You know, and that, that really does help us to say, well, I can't serve. I can't serve in a way that I'm speaking or teaching. Well, that may be true, but can you just talk about God to people? That's what this verse is. So I like this because it takes that excuse away from Christians that say, well, I don't really know how to teach this. He's saying, whoever's sober-minded, their speech is going to be seasoned with God. It's just going to be in there. But secondly, not just how they speak, he says they're serving. This word is literally to minister. It's to serve one another, diakonos. And this is, just like God is in everything I say, it's God is in everything I do. 
And so in generality, because I'm no longer driven by this, and now I'm just set on Christ and being set apart, he says there are things in which are, will be evident in your life so general. If, you, if I met you as a stranger, would I know that you're a Christian? If I met you as a stranger, I didn't know anything about you, but I just hung out with you for one day. And let's say you didn't go to services, there was nothing going on, but I was just hanging out with you. Would I realize, would I acknowledge to say, man, this person is different. Could I notice something about you? The way that you talk, things that you do. I think that's important for us. Because again, sometimes we think spiritual gift, spiritual gift. Well, I know mine's not to preach and teach, so it must be something else. Well, even though he says everything given to us is from God, He's saying, if you're a Christian and you're sober-minded, guess what's going to be in your, in your speech? God. Guess what's going to be in everything you do? It doesn't matter where you are, God's going to be in all of it. And so it takes that excuse off the table and saying, I need to be doing these things. We've got about five minutes left. Let's get some thoughts. Dave. Dave, then Ezekiel. I interviewed for a job one time in Denver. church there yet or anything and my boss that was being interviewed and almost I told Kelly almost seemed like he'd be a member of Church of Christ and sure enough he was <laughs> oh is that right wow I ended up going to church with him in Northwest and then later on Bear Valley but, but yeah isn't that interesting and, and we're not talking about this, the person that's self-glorifying and here's what I do here's no if you didn't mention any of that and you just were doing you Again, the theological term is just doing stuff, right? Libby's, Libby's, Libby's phrase. If I was just around you doing stuff, would I notice that you serve Jesus Christ? Ezekiel? What advice would you give to someone that struggles with speaking correctly? They've been tainted by the construction trade. Mm. Well, from, from a person that every other word was an F word, I'm not kidding. That was the thing that I struggled with most. And you can, ask, you can ask my wife. Everything was a curse word for me. And what I noticed is when I really, I really studied Romans 12, 1 and 2, that do not be conformed to the world, but, but, by, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, the more I was like, okay, I'm really going to just focus on God's word. Not to say you aren't, but here's what helped me, is the more that I cut out... Everything else. I mean, I cut out everything. I cut out music. All I did was audiobooks and audio Bible. That's all I did. And that's what I focused in on. And I was around people that never cursed. So I changed what was being fed here, but I changed who I was around. Not to say I was perfect overnight, but I, I was so amazed at how much easier it was for me not to curse. It really was. And so, you know, again, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If, if I have things that I can cut out out of my life, then do it, you know. So that would be my, my two cents. But, and you may be already doing that, but uh, that, would be, that would be kind of my quick answer. I saw another hand up somewhere. Yeah, McCarroll. I got a question. Um, how do you relate to a person that has a different religion? Like if they're like Catholic or... Mormon or stuff like that. How do you carry on a conversation 
about Jesus would different if, if they have a different faith. Yeah, Second Peter would talk about um, just be ready to give an answer for why you believe in him. It doesn't have to be theological. It doesn't have to be Bible verses necessarily. Why do you choose Jesus? Why are you a Christian? And that's all we need, right? Okay, maybe another hand. So when we think about the true conversion, the conversion begins here, right? When the Bible says mind or heart, it's just talking about this and this put together, that it's the, it's the decision-making part of me. That, that's the heart or the mind as far as the Bible is concerned. It's the person that makes decisions, that part in me that chooses this or that. When that part is devoted to Christ, I will be growing in Christ, which is why in chapter 2 and verse number 1, he goes on to say, um, like newborn infants, chapter 2, verse 2, like newborn infants long for the pure, that's the same word as holy, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow into salvation. So what allows me to grow into salvation? The Word of God. And the more that God's Word is in me, through me, around me, the more that I'll be set apart because God is working through me because I'm living out the Word. Yeah, Chris? Um, kind of bounce off the asking of advice, I guess. Um, I guess I'm asking anyone who has a good answer for me but how do you deal with your allegiance? Because it feels almost like I'm a child and I'm a parent at the same time, uh, where my mind will my mind will be focused on God, I'll have every intention, and then it's almost like I catch myself stealing a cookie from a cookie jar. Yeah. Like, whoa, I just talked to you about this. Yeah, so, you, you know, what does Paul say? All have sinned. Well, that, that phrase also is continual, unfortunately. All will continue to sin and fall short. And so the more that I'm focused, and here's a big thing, is to remember that I'm relying on God to help me on this. It's, I'm not relying on Evan to become better because Evan's good enough or Evan's smart enough or Evan's strong enough. No, that's the world's message is depend on you. You do you. You, you rely on you. No, the Bible's message is do not rely on you. <laughs> the heart is deceitful above all. Do not follow your heart. Follow God. Because even though my heart wants to go this way, God's going to say, well, that's the wrong way. That's death and destruction. Go this way. So I've got to choose logic over emotion. And so leaning on God is something I've found to be, man, so much easier for me because it takes the weight off of me in a way. Not to say I'm not, I'm not supposed to be obedient. But when I'm saying, God, you are the supplier. And that's what he says in chapter 4 and verse 10. It is God who supplies all of this. Whatever makes Chris Chris, all of his great things, his abilities, that's God, not you. And so you lean on that and you lean on the Spirit to help, help you. And, and you're praying and you're in it and you're studying it and you're getting people around you that have been through it. You're getting men in here, women in here who can encourage you and hold you accountable. That's, that's part of it, you know. So here are, a few, here are a few verses as we come to a close. Okay, again, generally speaking, somebody, somebody pull up for me Colossians 3.17. Who's got that? Who wants Colossians 3.17? Okay, Chris has 3.17. Somebody get Romans 6.13. Who's got that? Okay, Ezekiel's got Romans 3, uh, 
And then another person, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. These are all, you can put this in your margin of, uh, aside from chapter 4, the verse we just talked about, chapter 4 in verses 10 through 12, 10 and 11. You can put these verses because they're, they're saying the same thing. Okay, go ahead, Chris. Whatever you do in word or deed. Ah, uh, in word or deed, whatever I say and whatever I do with my hands. Same concept that Paul's talking about. Do all in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So whether I'm at my job or I'm at home, what am I saying and what am I doing? Is it glorifying God or not? Some of us would say, well, the Bible doesn't say not to. Well, that's not what Paul says. Ask yourself, is what I'm doing glorifying God? If the answer is no, don't do it. Okay? Romans 6.13. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and the members as instruments of righteousness to God. Okay. The instruments in that passage is talking about our bodies. Our bodies, my hands, my eyes, my ears, my feet, my body, my instruments are no longer used to serve this. I used to use my mouth for talking evil and cussing people out and cutting people down. Now my mouth is used for praising God in song hymns and spiritual songs. Now my mouth is being used to lift up a brother or sister, to comfort one another. My mouth is no longer used for evil, unrighteousness, Paul says, but now they're being used for righteousness, to glorify God and glorify others. Okay? Somebody had that. It's 1 Corinthians 10.31. Yeah, Samuel? Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all in the, na- or in the glory of God. All in the glory of God. You see, a lot of people will try to find wiggle room. <laughs> a lot of people will try to find, well, the Bible doesn't say that. Well, here are three verses that take that excuse away for us. Because he says, whatever you eat or drink, okay, that's fine. And then whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. What is left out? Nothing. Because if I've died and given my life to Christ, he's now my Lord, my master. Again, people want to make Jesus their savior, but not their master. It doesn't work like that. The only way Jesus is your savior is if you make him your master. That's the only way. All right. Uh, Guys, if we can get some songs ready to go, let's sing about uh, four songs.